Good morning. Let's just get something. Uh, let's just make sure. Travis, you do get a shower like every day, okay? Is that a yes or no? Yeah, I'm so glad. And we needed to clear that up because Allison sort of made us, brought it into question. So I'm glad that you get a shower. Oh, yeah, I got you. Listen, good to see you guys. You had a great week? How many more days to school starts? Not very many, right? It's going to be great. Hey, listen, can I give you guys a little bit, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about God's faithfulness. Can I tell you a little bit about God's faithfulness this week? Can I do that? So we have a new staff person coming on this coming Sunday. We announced that to you guys last week. Um, they put their house on the market. They have a contract on their house. Isn't that a praise of the Lord? And they think they may have found a house here. And so... Uh, it is moving very, very fast, but if you'll be praying for Michael and Chrissy today is their last day uh, officially there at, at Fairview in, um, in Greer, and they'll be saying goodbye to the church family there. Um, this coming Wednesday night, they'll be their last Sunday with the students there, but if you'll just be in prayer um, for them as they make uh, that transition, if you do that, we'd so much appreciate that. Um, Turn to the book of Romans. Let's do that. Turn to the book of Romans. While you're turning to the book of Romans, let me make a statement about the scriptures because the Bible isn't just a book. The Bible is a collection of books, 66 books written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors, over 40 different authors, um, written on three different continents by and written in three different languages divided in two sections, the old and the new. The Bible is... Um, filled with all kinds of incredible stories about our Heavenly Father. I was reading something the other day in reference to translation. Wycliffe had come out with some new statistics, and they tell us that now the world's population is up to 7.8 billion people. Can you count that on your fingers? That's a lot, isn't it? 7.8 billion people representing about 7,400 living languages. Out of those 7,400 living languages, they have translated the scriptures into approximately 10% or 700, 740, give or take a little of those languages. They have a full copy of God's word in 700, 740 different uh, languages. In other words, but that 10% or 700 uh, languages represent 5.7 billion people in the world, which means that we have little or no copies of God's word, whether it's a book, a, a, the Old Testament, the New Testament, there's little or no um, um, copies of, of the Bible that's been translated into 2.1 billion people's language. In other words, there are that many people around the world that don't have a full copy of God's word. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where people didn't have a copy of God's word in their own language, but it's, a, it's an incredible experience to be in a place and be able to watch that happen. You, as a church body, have been part of translating what's known as a story cloth into several different languages, about, about five, I believe now, fixing to translate it into another language so that it goes into another country where there's not uh, a copy of God's word. Um, but they use that story cloth to be able to story, share the story of Jesus so that others will come to know, to know Christ. The Bible's full of, of good news. Talking about books, though, and influence in the lives of people, books aren't, don't always have a good influence, do they? Matter of fact, there's some books that have tremendous negative influences in the lives of people, and we've seen it down through the years. Have you, maybe you've heard, Jim, I know you've probably heard of the book Mein Kampf that a guy by the name of Adolf Hitler wrote, and it was in that book that he shared his philosophies as uh, about uh, his Nazi philosophies as well as the direction that he wanted Germany to head. And as a result of that, there was a world war, world, world war, war, and also the Holocaust where six million innocent Jews lost their lives. Maybe you've heard of the book um, on the origin of species where a guy by the name of Charles Darwin wrote a book uh, about the evolution, his theory about evolution. And since that time, one pastor said, and I know you'll think this is funny because I know you guys like funny things, right? He said that since that time, since that Charles Darwin wrote that book, man has been trying to make a monkey out of themselves, okay? You're supposed to laugh this morning. This is not the early service. This is the second service. You guys should be well. But there are lots of other books, but no book has impacted the world like 
the Bible has, especially the book of, of Romans. There's a guy by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley was born in the 1700s. He was a, it was a young man that came to supposedly know the Lord when it became a pastor, a missionary, traveled to the United States. And it was at a time that he, that he had an encounter where he, he thought he was going to lose his life. And, and at that time, he knew that there was, he sensed there was something that was missing in his life. He ended up going back. When he got back home, he encountered a book, a preface that a man by the name of Martin Luther had written about the book of Romans. And it was there that, that he found what he thought he was missing, what he knew. He'd come to find out that he was missing it was a very famous journal entry that that man by the name of um, John Wesley wrote in a journal, and I'd like to quote it. This is what it says. While he, talking about Martin Luther, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance, an assurance was given it was given to me that I, that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It was a couple of hundred years earlier that Martin Luther had a similar story as Wesley. Um, talking about a life and death experience, there are some that says that he was struck by lightning, others that said he thought he was going to be struck by lightning. But anyway, what he did, Chris, is he, he, made, a, he, he, he made this agreement with the Lord. Maybe you've been there at a place in your life where you said, Lord, if you just get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You ever done that, Doug? I make some pro God, you do this and then I'll do this. Well, he, he lived and the promise that he had made is that if the Lord would save his life, he would become a monk. And so, true to his word, at the age of 22, he entered an Augustinian monastery and he began to read the scriptures and study the scriptures. And it was there that he, he came upon the book of Romans and his, in his study of the scriptures, he made a decision to follow Christ that ended up leading him to question, to question at that time the religious practices and theology that were in place by the Roman Catholic Church. Some of you guys are like going, why are you telling us all this? Listen, there's going to be a little bit of preface before we get to the book of Romans till we start reading today, but I think this is really important. I think you're going to learn some things. So this became known as the Protestant Reformation. Maybe you've, you've heard about that, which would become this theological revolt in Europe against the abuses and the totalitarian control of the Roman Catholic Church and its leadership. So the, the Reformation was precipitated by Martin Luther and a, with him posting what was called the 95 Thesis on the walls of what was known as the Wittenberg Church. And in that document, what it was was an attempt to begin a debate with the church uh, polity over the theology, an attempt to expose those um, that he, what he believed was corruption and also deception that was taking place inside the Roman Catholic Church at that time. And Luther did that. He did all of this knowing that his life would be put in danger. And so this reformation would ensue. And in the, the midst of that, the center of that reformation was really two questions. Number one, who, who can say what's true? What is it is true? Where does truth come from? And number two, how do we reconcile who we are with who God is? is. And in that reformation came a clarity to recognize that God's word is the ultimate authority in the world. And that there was only one perfect life of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross that was the answer for sin and nothing else. And it was during that time of reformation that we see what became known as five solas. The word sola is a Latin word that means only or one. And it was these five points that we see that were statements of biblical doctrine, truths that we find within the scripture, that what it would do is it would clearly separate what we know as Protestantism versus Roman Catholicism. And I'd like to share those with you briefly this morning. I'd like for you to write these down because these are really, really important um, biblical doctrinal truths that we find that flowed out of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. So write this down, number one. Sola Scriptura, which means Scripture alone, that the Bible alone is the sole authority in all matters of faith and practice. That the Scripture alone is God's Word. It's God's Word which is inspired by God. 
If you're a good Bible, uh, if you're one of those persons that, that Bible drills, you can turn over to 2 Peter, but you can just listen to me read. I'll tell you what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says. Above all, you must realize that there's no prophecy, no prophecy in Scripture that ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Not his own understanding. Or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. But God's word just wasn't inspired by God. It was God breathed in 2 Timothy. It would be Paul himself that would eventually write to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We usually say something like this. It tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's what God's word does. But scripture alone is our authority. The second, sola fide, salvation is by faith alone. The Roman Catholic Church emphasized the, the practice of indulgences, donating money as a way of buying God's approval. And they also thought and, 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 and held high works in baptism as they were, seen high, they were seen as required for salvation. But what sola fide meant was that salvation was a free gift from God for all those who accept Christ by faith. Not works. Galatians chapter 2, and Paul in writing to the church at Galatia would write this in Galatians chapter 2, 16. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. You can write the third one down, sola gratia. Salvation is by grace alone. That salvation by God, by God is, a, is a, a sign that we are rescued by God's grace. God's grace, he gives us something that we don't deserve. And when we receive salvation by God's grace, it reminds us of God's grace. We are only saved by God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace um, through faith. We can't take any credit for it. Or the fourth one, solo Christo, or solus Christus, through Christ alone. Salvation alone is found in Christ. Nothing else can save. It was Jesus Christ's death on the cross that became sufficient for our justification and for our reconciliation. The Roman Catholic Church also held very high that the priest became that intercessor between man and God. And the scripture doesn't teach that. What the scripture teaches us is that Jesus alone is our, is our high priest and he is the one that intercedes before the Father. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, it tells us, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus is our access to God. Not me, not a Catholic priest, or anybody else. The fifth thing was this, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. That our highest priority, that our highest privilege and opportunity that we have as God's children is to bring Him glory. That we haven't been saved to follow and keep a list of rules that we haven't been saved just so that we can sign up and, and make sure that everybody knows that we've been in church on Sunday morning. It is great as those things are, that is not what it's about. But we are created to bring God glory. When Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, these were his words. So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we have these five doctrines that flow out of the book of Romans, the Reformation. And it was a call for the church to, to return to biblical teachings. And those five solas, just as they were important then, they are important today. Amen? Very important. Very important for us to hold on to. And so I've said all of this to get to the place in the book of Romans uh, where we would talk about Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. But let me just say this to preface before I read this. Most of Paul's teachings, his writings, he divides it into two different, two different sections. There's a section that he talks about the beliefs, the doctrines, um, 
that what, what we're supposed to believe. And then he goes on in the last half of a letter to talk about, well, in light of what we should believe, how should we live? And you see that many times in the teachings of Paul. And it's no different here in the, in, in the book of Romans. You're going to see verses or chapters 1 through 11 define for us doctrine and what we believe. And chapters 12 through 6, 16 describes how we should live in light of the gospel. But let's read, let's just read the first seven verses today. Can we do that together? Let's just read it. Read along with me today, and then we're going to pray and get into to where we are. But I just thought it was important to sort of give you a little bit of a background of the history before, before we got into the book of Romans today. So this is what Paul writes. This letter, this letter that we're reading, by the way, is from, is from who? Paul, okay, you guys can participate. So this is like a little participation. So, so this letter is from who? Paul. So we know who's writing this letter. Paul, and he identifies himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. He was chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his, there's that word, good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son, in his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey, bringing him glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who were loved by God and called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let's pray. Father, this is what I pray over the next few minutes. God, would you take the simplicity about what we're going to discuss today and would you penetrate our hearts Lord, I know that there are some here today that, that are wrestling with various things in their life. There are some here that are confused about you. There are some here that are wrestling with sin. There are some in this room today that are wrestling with um, disappointment, discouragement, being overwhelmed. And God, I pray that today that in the, in the reading of your word, in the presence of your spirit in this place, that God, that our hearts would not only be broken, and challenged, but Father, we would be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we, as we, read, as we read the Scripture, and, and, it, and it's like this in, in the book of Romans, you know, we, we read inside of, the, inside of the Scripture so much about good news. Now, I don't, I don't know how much you guys pay attention to news, but man, we get our news, our news flows from a lot of different places these days, doesn't it? I mean, I can't pick my cell phone up without there being some kind of a news report. There's news reports all the time. We get our news from where it's in written form, the internet, um, <laughs> gossip. I, I wanted to holler out gossip. I wanted to holler out prayer requests a while ago because that's what it is. Isn't it? You ever done that? Yeah, yeah that's what got, it can be prayer requests. But, but anyway, we get our, our news from many different avenues. Um, and I, and I, was, I was looking at the other day because I'd heard a, a statistic about, about um, news and negative news and positive news. And this statistic basically said that about 90% of all that we hear or all that we're being fed from advertising, from news, news media, 90% is negative. Now, now why, why don't you go back and figure it out yourself? Why don't you just do, not now, because I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. But why don't you sometime just take a newspaper or why don't you take a, a, a news source and why don't you go through the top stories and see how many of those news stories are positive and how many of them are negative. I see a lot of you just, I mean, just the other day I went through and, and I looked, there were 31 stories inside of this, this news article. 31 stories, 31 different stories. Of those 31 stories, 27 of them were negative. Just, just, just yesterday, I, again, I just wanted to, just to sort of put it to the test. And so I did it. And, you know, I, I can't remember how many it was like out of the 11 stories that I found on this one, you know, nine of those stories were negative, negative stories. But the headlines here that we hear from Paul is not about negative news, but it's going to be about good news, not bad news, good news. 
And here's Paul writing this letter to the believers at the church at Rome. We're talking about 57 AD after, after Jesus' um, death. Jesus has already ascended. He's already resurrected. Um, he's already in heaven. And so it's during this time at the growth of the church we see Paul writing this letter. He's in Corinth when he's writing this letter. He's never even, he's never even been. He doesn't even know the people that are there in Rome. But he writes because he's heard about their work there. But what he writes isn't bad news, but he's going to talk to them about good news. And over and over and over, Paul uses this word, this phrase, this Greek word, as he writes throughout his letters. And it's this word called euangelion, which means, it means good message, good news. Some say that verses 1 through 7 is nothing more than a summary of what Paul would write in chapters 1 through 16. But look at how he starts out today, unless you can write down the word servant, because we're going to talk about Paul. And he goes, and he says, the servant, this is how he begins his letter. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. So who was Paul? Tell me a little bit about Paul. Where did he come from? Well, we know that he came from Jewish parents. He was raised in a city called Tarsus, which was modern-day southeast Turkey. Um, but even though Paul was a Jew, he was also a Roman citizen. When he was born, his parents gave him a Hebrew name, Shaul, which meant one who hears. And I don't know if he was named after King Saul, the first king of Israel or not, but he had the name Saul. But he also had a Roman name, and his Roman name was, maybe you know it, Paul. It was Paul. It wasn't uncommon during that time for a person to have dual names. But this man named Saul, which also known as Paul, was a very religious man. Not here, but he also identifies himself uh, as a Pharisee. He was educated by a famous ra rabbi named um, Gamaliel. And Paul had, this Paul had this conversion, but before he had this conversion, he was a persecutor of Christians. He grew up in a time where he would persecute believers, those who said that they were followers of Christ, and he would seek them out, and he would go to arrest them, and he would beat them and torture them, and even go to the place of, of killing them. There are many times that, that Paul probably witnessed the death of, of people because of their faith in Christ. And here's Paul on his way to Damascus to, to persecute some believers. And it was, it was on that road to Damascus that he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And Saul, from that moment on, went from persecuting believers to telling others about Christ and becoming a follower in himself. And see, there's a transformation that happened in, in Paul's life at that time. There was a transformation. Because see, that's what happens when you encounter the risen Savior. That's what happens when you come to know Christ. And that's not what happens when you're a religious person. But when you come to know Christ, there's something that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a new birth that takes place in your life. Have you ever experienced that? I'm not, not asking you if you're, if you're a churchgoer. But have you ever experienced a transformation in your life? Have you ever been born again because you've encountered face-to-face -face the living Savior? You know, I was with somebody not long ago and we were having a discussion and they were telling me about their religious experiences. They had gone to church, grew up going to church. They were baptized. And um, as an adult, they became a little bit more mature. And so um, they realized they didn't need to go to church as much anymore and they began to share with me their life. And, and as I was sitting there, there was just something that it didn't set right with me. As a matter of fact, as they, taught, I as, they, as they talked, I recognized more and more there was no conviction of sin. There was no conviction of sin. As a matter of fact, as they talked, I, I began to recognize it didn't even sound like there had been any transformation at all. But like I said, when you see Jesus face to face, things happen. And I looked at him and as honest as I could be, I just said, you know, it sounds like you've had a religious experience, but not a Jesus experience. I pray that wouldn't be you. I pray that we as believers would know Jesus, but he had an encounter with the Lord. And we find in the scripture, there was a couple of questions that, that Paul would, would ask. Number one, who are you, Lord? 
I mean, who is it that, that I'm talking to? And, and Jesus would answer, I am the one that you are persecuting. And then the second question was this, what, do you, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? And we know that because of Paul's testimony a little bit later in the book of Acts. These aren't unusual or abnormal questions. As a matter of fact, they're questions that I ask myself from time to time. You know, Lord, who are you? Because I want to know you. And Lord, what is it you want me to do? How should I respond? And I don't know if you know this. I said a while ago that the word Saul meant um, one who hears, but the word Paul means short or um, a little, little or, or short. Um, I don't know if Paul was small in stature, but I know that he was big in his faith. And I know that, that God had humongous plans for him because we see it played out in the scriptures. But here's Paul, he identifies himself. How did he identify himself? What did he say he was? He was a what? He was a slave. He was a slave. Doulos. That word means doulos. It means a person who's placed himself underneath, positioned himself underneath in submission to another. But he not only identified himself as a slave of Christ, but he also said that he was what? He was chosen, chosen by God. He had been selected or he had been invited by God to be a what? An apostle. Now we don't read it here, but this is the same guy that would call himself a Pharisee and what a Pharisee means, separated one. And the Pharisee, what they, the Pharisees prided themselves on being separated from other people. But it wasn't a good separation. It was out of their arrogance and pride. But Saul goes being from separated out of his arrogance and pride to being chosen, listen, to being chosen, invited, and selected by God. Set apart to be a messenger for the Lord. Have you ever recognized the fact that as a believer that you've been set aside to be a messenger for God, that wherever you have gone, wherever you are, God has chosen you, that he has selected you to be his messenger, to be his mouthpiece to the world. And here's Paul saying, man, this is who I am. This is, this is a description of me. Paul tells us why he had been invited by God to be an apostle. He said to be an apostle, sent out to, to preach his good news. I want you to look at the second thing, not only Paul the servant, but I want you to look at the source, the source and look at what he goes on to write. God promised this good news. It was God is the one that promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Um, so at the end of this verse, we see that Paul um, said he was sent out to preach the good news. And here in verse two, Paul goes on to say that it was God whose gospel or good news that he was to preach. It was God's gospel. God is the source. See, man-made religion is, is how the things that we can do for God, what man can do for God, the rules, the traditions, the customs, the culture. But the gospel is about what God did for man. Are you with me? Hello? Wake up. Shh. See, that's what the gospel, the gospel isn't what we do for God. The gospel is what God did for us that we could not do for ourselves. The gospel or good news is from God. It wasn't something that Paul made up. It wasn't something that the apostles made up. They didn't just discover it, but it was revealed by God and through the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter the apostle wrote the words in 2 Peter when he would say, for we weren't making up clever stories. See, some of you may feel that, that way from time to time, making up these clever... No, no, the gospel's not these clever made-up stories by man. It wasn't something that we were told about you, but it was the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with my own eyes. That's what Peter said. Man, I saw it. I experienced it firsthand. And it would be Paul, Paul would say, he goes on, God promised this good news long ago through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. And you say, well, why, why is he saying that? Why is that so important? Listen, the gospel wasn't something new, but it was something that had been promised since day one. It had been talked about. It had been written before in the Old Testament. It had been clarified by the prophets. And Jesus and the good news was the fulfillment of those promises. That's why in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, he had told them to go to Jerusalem and assemble. And you wait on the Holy Spirit because he's coming. And that's what they did. They went to this room. And if you remember, the Holy Spirit came and the people that saw what was going on said, man, these guys are drunk. 
Peter stood up and he said, no. He said, man, these guys aren't drunk. And he went on to tell the stories of what Joel had talked about in the Old Testament and what King David had talked about. And he quoted them. And he quoted those prophets and, and to prove to them that all those things that had been predicted and all those things that had been promised were true. Those things that had been anticipated for years and years and years that it was real. The gospel was a part of this continuous progressive revelation. And it went all the way back to the book of Genesis. Going all the way back to chapter 3 verse 15. More than 300 prophecies we find inside of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. His birth, talking about his ministry, talking about his life, how he would be born and how he would die, his resurrection. In every one of those prophecies, they would come to pass to give evidence, to give evidence of the divine nature of the Scripture in which we hold dearly in our hands. It's a big deal. Man, it's a privilege that we have a copy of God's Word, and yet we treat it so flippantly from time to time. One scholar said this, I'm not a mathematician, my wife is. I can add, subtract, divide, and multiply. I can do that kind of stuff. You know, but, but when it comes to big things, I, I, I can't do that. But one mathematician made this statement. He said that even in 100 billion years, there's no chance that the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament could have been fulfilled without the act of God. God is the source. Paul was the servant. God was the source. Write down the subject because the subject was the gospel. And who was at the center of the gospel? He goes on in verse 3, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into a king, into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God, and he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus our Lord. That all those promises that we find in the Old Testament, they all point to one person, Jesus. They all point to, to Jesus. He is the subject of the story. He is the good news. Jesus sits at the center of both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. I know that there are other topics, there are subtopics, there are themes, but there is only one grand theme, one overarching theme, one central theme, and that is Jesus. That's why Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 5, he went on to say, if you really believed Moses in the Old Testament, in his, in his, in his words, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Let me give you the Bible in a nutshell. I found this and I thought this was very interesting. This might be something that you want to hold on to and you might want to memorize. But the Old, the Old Testament is about the anticipation and expectation of Jesus Christ. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about the presentation of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, the growth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit is about the continuation of the work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The epistles, the letters that we find in the scriptures are about the explanation and clarification about Jesus and his teachings. And the book of Revelation is about the consummation by Jesus Christ, his return, his fulfillment, his fulfillment the end goal, the finished work. That's the Bible in a nutshell. Some people can also say the Bible uh, is about one person in two different events. One person, Jesus. Two events, Jesus is coming to deal with sin. The second, him coming again to rule and reign forevermore with all of those who are his children. Terry, are you one of those children? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Are you one of those, are you one of his children? What a blessing. Here's Paul when he, when he says, he was born into King David's family line. He was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul was referring to here is the dual nature of Christ. He wasn't partly man and partly God. He was fully God and fully man. Jesus was fully man. Let me give you a few of passages of scripture, a little few things about Jesus being fully man. John teaches, that, teaches us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the only begotten father. We find in the book of John that Jesus grew tired. We find in the book of Luke that Jesus grew in stature. 
Um, we find in the, in the book of John also that, that Jesus was, was thirsty. I saw the cat this morning. I told Meredith, what's that noise? And I heard this clanging going on, and, and there, was no, there was no water in the, in the cat's water box. And so he was playing and saying, hey, come get me some water. I'm thirsty. Here's Jesus in human form saying, man, I'm thirsty. I thirst. Jesus became physically weak. We find that in Matthew chapter 4 in Luke. Jesus would die. We find that in Luke. Jesus had a real human body after his resurrection. He had a fully functioning human nature, yet he would not sin. But Jesus wasn't just fully man, but he was also fully God. We find out in the scriptures that Jesus was from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and he was with us. He was conceived in a virgin's womb by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. It would be later on in Colossians that Paul himself would write, For in Christ the fullness of God lives in a human body. And yet we know what Philippians would tell us in the Scriptures, that Jesus, even though he was God, willingly would place himself upon that cross when he would become the sacrifice, that he willingly made his way to the cross because there was no other sacrifice for our sins that would, that would work. And he did it. If Jesus weren't God, his death wouldn't have been sufficient to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. Jesus is fully man and he is fully God. I, I love this statement. You can write this down someplace. I found this. But being man, he had the ability to substitute for mankind on the cross. Being God, he had the capacity to save all of mankind because of that substitute on the cross. Can I give you one last thing? The scope, write that down. The scope. What's the big picture? The scope of the gospel. Read verses five through seven with me. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority. Listen at that. Listen at what he's, listen at what he's writing. Listen at who he's talking to. See how this applies to us today. Through Christ, God has given us. Now he's talking to the believers there at Rome, but he's given us the privilege, 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 and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. I mean, do you see that? I mean, look, we as believers have an opportunity. We've got to be given the privilege and also the authority to share this gospel with everyone. And he goes on to say in verse 6, And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And so we see the scope of the gospel being the purpose of the gospel, the ultimate goal. That Paul was writing to the believers there saying, can you believe it? <laughs> Man, guys, can you even begin to understand? God's given us the privilege to be able to participate, to tell others about Jesus. He's given us that opportunity so that others will come to know, so that others will come to believe. I read this statement. It says, faith is the root, but obedience is the fruit. And the good news that, that Paul would say that he would share, this good news that, that's been talked about for years and years from the beginning of time, this good news is good news to everyone, not just some. I mean, it's not, it's not just for a group of people that are located in a certain subdivision. It's not for a group of people maybe that, that live in a certain part of the state. But man, the good news is good news for people here in Fruitland Park, amen? The good news is good news for the people that live up in the villages or, or in Wildwood or down in, or down in Claremont or over in Eustace and Jacksonville and all the way to Miami. The good news that we talk about is, is good news for, for those that are in Liberia as well as those that are in Haiti or those in Jamaica or those that are in India or those that are in Nicaragua. The good news is good news for all. Jesus, if you remember what he told his disciples, before Paul would ever write this, Jesus told his disciples, look, he said, I'm sending you out and I want you to go to and into all the world and I want you to, to teach and I want you to baptize. That's what I want you to do. I want you to share this good news and I want you to teach them to observe all the things that I've told you and I've taught you. 
and I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to be there. But to recognize that we have that privilege. That's what we're going to be talking about. We'll look at that a little bit more next week. But it's the gospel. It is the gospel. The cure for sin is universally the same. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is only one gospel. John 3.16 says it, and you can repeat it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. salvation in a world that left us cold can we get back to the altar back to the arms of our first love there's only one way to the father and he's calling out to us to the captive it looks like freedom to the orphan it feels like home to the skeptic it might seem crazy to believe in a god who loves in a world where our hearts are breaking and we're lost in the mess we made like a blinding light in the dead of night it's the gospel the gospel that makes the way it's the gospel that makes the way and it's the cure for our condition the good news for us all what's greater than religion it's the power of the cross so can we get back to the altar back to the arms of our first love there's only one way to the father and he's calling out to us to the captive it looks like freedom to the orphan it feels like home to the skeptic, it might seem crazy to believe in a God who loves. In a world where our hearts are breaking and we're lost in the mess we made, like a blinding light in the dead of night, it's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel that makes a way. In my own life it means forgiveness when I know I deserve the fall. It called me out of my darkness and it carried me to the cross. In that moment my eyes were opened, in that moment my heart was changed. Like a blinding light in the dead of night, it's the gospel! Whoa! To the captive it looks like freedom, to the orphan it feels like home. To the skeptic it might seem crazy to believe in a God who loves. In a world where our hearts are breaking and we're lost in the mess we made. Like a blinding light in the dead of night. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes the way. It's the gospel that makes the way. Parker and, and 
Jamie were singing and playing, I thought to myself, you know, the good news is only good news to those people who know the bad news. The, the good news is only good news to those people that recognize that they're a sinner and there's no way they can save themselves. The good news is good news to those of us that recognize that we are sinners and there's a price to be paid for sin. The good news is good news for those of us that recognize that sin separates us from a holy God and that there's only one way through the blood of Christ, through Christ alone, through faith alone, through God's grace. It's a gift. It's a, it's a gift that He freely gives us. The only thing we have to do is to receive it, is to receive it. The question is today, is ever, have you ever had that time in your life where you received Christ, not where you went through some religious experiences, some, some traditions, or you went through some practices, but have you ever had a face-to-face -face encounter like Paul had where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? Because if you, if you did, your life is different. If you're the same person before Christ and after Christ, the only thing I got to say is you better check yourself. You better check yourself. But if you don't know Jesus, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? You know, Paul called himself a slave. That, that word means to, 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 to willingly submit and place yourself underneath. Paul knew, listen, man, because of Jesus and who he is, I fully submit my life to him. He is my master. He is my Lord. And today, if... if if that's the decision that you'd like to make, man, I'd love to be able to talk to you. There's a card in front of you. There's a, a word that you can, you know, just that you can text us a decision to say, man, I want to talk to somebody about what it looks like to, to make a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to be able to have the, engage you in a conversation about that. But today as we leave, um, I, I want to tell you that next week we're going to be in, in, in chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. And I want you to, if you want to read ahead, you can do that. We're going to be walking through the book of Romans for a long period of time. And we're going to be tag teaming Brian and I are. And, and uh, we're just really looking forward to this. And I, and I want you to know that, that next Sunday... We're going to talk about, you know, Allison mentioned, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's part of our text next week. And we intentionally started so that it would fall in line with something that's very close to our hearts. It's called um, the back to school prayer. And last year in the midst of COVID, we, there, was a, there was just a sense that we need to do something. And as a result of that, God put together something in three weeks time that was incredible. So there were people that were area coordinators that we enlisted who enlisted school coordinators. And last year, um, there were over 100 schools here in Central Florida that were covered with prayer, where people from 18, over 1,800 people gathered, over 100 churches gathered to pray around school campuses to show not only our devotion to God, but also our commitment, believing that our schools are an important place of ministry. Praying for our teachers and our staff, our, our, our service, those that are in, whether they're secretaries or assistants, praying for those that work alongside, praying for our students and praying for our, our parents. And I'm going to tell you what, guys, it's coming down. There's a lot more confusion going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I promise you it is because the devil loves to stink and you're going to hear lots of negative stuff. If there's ever a place that the gospel needs to be, it needs to be on our campuses. Amen? So guess who's going to put it there? You. So we're going to gather and next week I'm not just going to ask for our students and parents to gather, but I'm going to ask for all of us just to choose a campus that's close to you and for you to go. And there's been a school coordinator that has been assigned. I don't care if it's in Lake or Sumter, man, we got them all covered. For you to go there and you just pray at seven o'clock at night, we're going to assemble and I'm going to, I'm going to, um, we're going to show you a video next week that Brian created and, and, uh, but we're going to, we're going to really talk that up. But then after that, we're going to have an opportunity to support the 14th or the 22nd, what we've called as Project Generosity. We began, we began Bless Fruitland Park, I don't know, six years ago. And this time of the year, we've initiated what's called Project Generosity. We couldn't do it last year. 
but for the past several years, this time of year, we gather together as churches and businesses and organizations here within our community, and we raise money for our local school to help them out, to help them with projects and things that they don't normally have the resources to do. And over the past five years, we've put back more than $100,000 on that school campus. And it's been a testimony to this community. It's been a testimony to, to, this, to this county about a community that, that serves its school. Uh, we have a new school principal, <laughs> bless her heart. I got an email from her last night. She said, well, this is gonna be my, this is gonna be what I'm looking at for the next seven days. I've been tested positive for COVID. Her staff were just together the other day in the same vehicle and I thought to myself, oh Lord, have mercy. It's just going to be a lot. But listen, isn't Jesus on the throne? He's on the throne. Let's not be worrying about all the stuff, all the bad news that's out there. Let's focus on the good news. Let's not focus on whether or not you got a shot or you don't have a shot or you're wearing a mask or you're not wearing a mask. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Because if you're a believer and following Jesus, man, even listen, if you go to, even if you die as a result, we, which we all are going to do at some point in time, we get a chance to spend time with eternity in, in heaven with our Heavenly Father. What a great day of celebration it will be. But if you don't know Jesus today, what's keeping you from making the most important decision of your life? As you walk out these doors today, I send you out to be missionaries. Ron, I send you out to go into that area in which you live for you to be a mouthpiece of Jesus sharing the good news, not only in your actions, but also in your voice, carrying the good news with you. Bart, the same thing for you. For every one of us that's in this room, I challenge you to be an ambassador for Jesus. Father, I pray that as we walk out of this place today that we've been challenged by what we've heard, that we would remember these doctrinal truths of the five solas that came out of this Protestant Reformation that took place when Martin Luther um, read and, and began to study the Scriptures. God, I'm praying that we heard the heart of Paul today as, as, we, as, we, as we begin to read the word that he had written to those believers, a group of people that he had never even met. And yet he, he had a heart for them because that's what happens when, we, when our lives are transformed. All of a sudden, it's not just about us. But God, you place within us a call and you place within us a, a passion and a purpose to live for you. Father, may, may, may we be a church that represents you to this community. May we be willing to link arms with other believers, Father, to recognize that not only you are God, but you're doing some incredible things. Thank you for the privilege of, of serving you. Thank you for the privilege of, of working with a staff that I know has a heart and loves you. You have blessed us. I thank you for a group of people that are, that are generous, that are loving, that are kind, that are faithful. Father, use us in this generation to make a difference so that we live out a legacy of faith and leave a legacy of faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.